what Nike did is a power move. When Adidas came out with the project, the whole NFT Twitter blew up and the internet, as we know, within that space broke. But then Nike comes and follows up and like, we just bought Artifact. They were early, they were fast, and they did a strong power move. They haven't followed up much yet since that happened because I feel that they're definitely building a lot of things on the back. But that gave me the feeling that they are doing it quote-unquote right. But I like looking at other other examples as well. I tend to say that there is not a single brand that is doing it all right. One, because it's so new. Two, because right changes every day. If you look two months ago, it's different than what you look now. Two months ago, charging for a, a drop or a mint would be fine. And you look at the current state, doing a free mint is the way to go. So this change is really quick, right? And it took like Adidas about six to eight months of planning and preparation to do what happened in December. So imagine if those changes happen so fast, how do you move that tanker to be able to be relevant to the point that you actually drop, not to the point that you actually were planning? I like seeing different isolated examples of brands doing one or two things right, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they are doing everything right. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 88 of the So This Is My Wife podcast. I'm your host and producer, Lingya, and today's guest is Diego Borgo. As you may have noticed on the pod, we've been recently on a bit of a Web3 binge. We started by meeting a number of NFT artists, NFT project founders, styles, and now with Diego, we are meeting a metaverse strategist and advisor who's worked with and contributed to projects like Adidas's Into the Metaverse, Work with Salesforce, Unilever, and L'Oreal. This episode is all about how brands can enter the Web3 slash metaverse space. What are examples of brands who have done well and brands who haven't? How can brands convince employees to get behind on the adventure into the metaverse and work with your customers in a DAO setting? The importance of sustainability and more. If you find that you enjoy this conversation and want to learn more about how brands can enter the metaverse, Diego also has a NAS Academy course coming out later this month, and Steamy listeners can get a special discount. Just use the code so this my why and use the link that you can find in the show notes or the description of this podcast. And if you've been enjoying past episodes, I'd love it if you could just take a moment to take a screenshot and share it with anyone in your life that might be interested in entrepreneurship, growth, and all things Web3. I'd love to get this education the hands and ears of as many people as possible so if you do me a little favor can you please make sure there's one person in your life who you know would enjoy this content here's about doing now are you ready let's go welcome to the so this is my why podcast where we talk to people about their whys and how they turn them into realities to inspire you to live your best life and here's your host ling ya I've been consulting brands in marketing strategy and branding and digital strategies for the last eight years. So I would say my background on Web2 is, is mainly focused on marketing and branding. I started working when I was 16 in creative agency, working with global clients like Red Bull, Microsoft, Xbox, brands on that caliber back then, which was all connected to like social and the sort of like gaming universe. Uh, we had Samsung as a client as well doing the word cyber games back then, which was a lot about Samsung pushing gaming and a lot of stuff like that. So my background is this vast element of branding, marketing and culture. The last four years I was sitting 
inside Adidas at a headquarter in Germany, consulting the brand for four years on the digital side of it. I've been in blockchain since 2017. That's when I first sort of like got really deep into understanding the use case of blockchain technology, how this technology has potentially the power to change the world for better. But since I'm not like a deep tech guy or an investor or speculator, I haven't made like the deep dive. So I was watching from the sides, but I spent like a lot of time looking on the use case and everything that was around blockchain back then. I think what you said has really resonated because honestly, most of us, I think, are not technical at all. And so a lot of people I've met have said they came across, heard of this thing called Bitcoin, they really understand it. And a couple of years later, they decided to enter into it. And it sounds like that's your story as well. I wonder what it was that as you're watching this, you're not technical, but you're following the stories. At what point do you think this is something I'm going to go into full time? Because that's a big jump. Yeah. So I learned from the past where I haven't like really paid attention or took the leap on the right moments, especially with blockchain. So in 2014, I'm in Bali meeting those people and talking and having a good time. This Australian guy comes to me and tells me, oh, dude, you should pay attention to this thing. It's called Bitcoin. You know, it's going to be the new way we transact with, with each other. It's going to replace the financial system. That's a decentralized finance tool now that you can invest and you can buy and people can pay each other with it. It was $400 back then. And as he speaks, my brain just screams, scam, right? Like Ponzi and all of that. So I didn't pay attention to it because I thought it was mad crazy. You fast forward to 2017, that's when I heard again about like not Bitcoin itself, but obviously I've seen everything that happened with Bitcoin. I was like, okay, whenever it goes back to 400 bucks, they're going to get in. It never did. So then in 2017, I met his friend, we travel in Colombia, and then he starts talking to me about blockchain technology. He's a deep tech guy working with cloud and computing and all of it. And then I was like, okay, I'll pay attention to this thing now. That's when we got to the stage I told you that I spent every single minute I could and downloaded everything you can imagine to watch throughout of my travels and on the plane and all of it about like use case and YouTube channels and people talking about it and all of it. But again, I haven't stuck around, right? When NFT showed up to me in April last year, why was that Adidas? A friend introduced to me, I have seen it, and he told me the, the things that he has seen and has imagined his similar background to mine. I was like, that's the time that I cannot let that go again. And this time, more than ever, I understand because I understand the technology, but I also understand the sort of like culture aspects of it, the creative aspects of it, the music, the art, which was sort of like the first use case I've seen back then. So NFTs were sort of like this gateway to me to the so-called Web3, the first sort of like experience I had with that and put a name to it. And while I was at Adidas, my friends were already pushing the brand towards to that direction. So I was lucky enough to be part of the team that delivered into the metaverse and did this Embrada collaboration. And seeing that from inside out, also being a DGEN for the community and having perspective on both sides, showed me something that I haven't seen before. And I was like, okay, I need to go all in on those things, right? So by December last year was when I left Adidas and stopped consulting the brand and started doing my own thing. But the main takeaway for me was learning from the past experiences and understanding that the only way to win within this space is by sticking around. That's why I decided putting myself on a situation where I had no plans when I last Adidas. I just bought a house. My son was six months old, was my main revenue stream. And then out of a sudden, I put myself in this position to be like, if you really believe in this thing, can you really think that this is 
going to be the next big medium. I was too young when the internet blew up to take advantage of it. I was too young on my career when social media blew up to take advantage of it. And now I'm in the best position of my whole life so far. And I just didn't want to, to let that pass. So I went all in. And it's been now seven months and my life went upside down from there in the best, in the best possible way. <laughs> how, how do you get over that barrier of, is it a scam? The help that you were working with Adidas and that's a global brand and it helped you to basically know what to read up on and realize the full potential behind this. I mean, for me, I'm a risk taker, right? So the personal story I just shared, that's how I operate. I put myself in the most uncomfortable situation because that's how I can try. So I'm happy to take risks and maybe get scammed and move on. I don't dwell with the things I've done wrong in the past. I don't dwell every day that I passed on Bitcoin when it was 400 bucks. I, I don't care. I learned and I move on. So for me, it's very easy to see, even though I wouldn't have thought that it's not a scam anymore. I'll just like take the risk and see what's up, see how it goes, right? But obviously, the more time you spend within the space and the deeper you dig to see that the smartest people I know and the smartest people out there and the most innovative and the most disruptive people out there are actually moving into the space or have been in the space for a while, that gives me more confidence to understand what the possibilities are. That's all I always try to do. I try to analyze behavior and see what people that I really look up to doing where they're headed. And everyone around me was going to that direction. So for me, it's a no-brainer to dive in. I think for, for newcomers, I think that's what you're trying to get out of this answer as well, is how do you go over the barrier of like thinking that this is a scam and that's a Ponzi? I think we as humans are always afraid of the new things, the new mediums, the new technologies, especially because of innovation, especially because change is such a hard thing for us because our brain doesn't operate that way. We don't like change. Our brain don't like changes. So I think that the best way to go over that is by education, by talking to the people that are within the space, not speculation, not trying to chase a quick buck, not looking at the media headlines saying, Oh, someone just bought this JPEG of a crypto butt dick, whatever, for 600,000. And like, that's how you get confused. And that's how you go into the hurdle mentality of like, oh, this is just a scam and I don't want to see, I don't want to talk about it. And that's also how you become your grandparents, right? You become that person that's sort of like, oh, this new thing? Like, no, mm, no, internet? Like, no, 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 no. Do you ever think that someone's going to be selling something online? I'll never buy this. Do you think that they're going to put my credit card on this digital thing? Like, no, not going to happen. I think that it's important to question, but my call to action to people is usually dig deeper. Go talk to the people that are within it, what they have seen. If you still find that it's not interesting, it's fine. It doesn't have to. My role within the space is not to convince anyone. My role in this space is to show what I have seen, to show the possibilities I have seen, and hope that people that are interested and feel that this is something that they want to explore, further explore, they, they come along and, and we build the future together. As you were speaking about risk and education, I was thinking of a previous guest, Zeneca, episode 86. Yeah. He was also talking about we, that. He we like the Zen. Yeah. I mean, he has an interesting way of looking at risk because he was a professional poker player. And yeah. I asked him the question of, okay, once you were convinced, how do you even figure out and what kind of educational resources were you using? Because there's so much out there. It's not a question of what. It's just which one because there's too much. And also, how do you even begin to build those relationships online? So when I asked him that, since most of the information is actually on Twitter and Discord, and let's face it, most people don't actually use that as a normal thing. His answer was, oh, on Twitter, 
you should always be asking questions and that's how you build their relationships. And I wonder if it's the same for you. Do you have any other advice in terms of just learning who exactly to go to to learn and also just build those relationships so that you can trust those people to answer your specific questions? Yeah, I mean, that, that's a great question. And Zen is a good friend. I, I love everything he's done for the space. G-Money and him were two people that I really looked up when I first got into the space. And I'm really grateful to have them as friends today. You know, I learned a lot from those two. So I'm biased, but if you were entirely new to it and you like to have like two people to start following and start guiding you around or at least see what they're up to, those are two people I would initially recommend. To your point of like Twitter and Discord, especially for non-crypto native or people that are not in tech or people that are not interested to like really going out of their comfort zone, creating a Twitter account or going on Discord and trying to figure out all that madness, which I understand if you wouldn't like to do it. That's why I do the work on LinkedIn. A lot of my friends that are from the space, property gens, working 24-7 in the space, anti-corp and all of that. They question me when I start moving towards LinkedIn and start working with the big brands as I do. But I feel that is our job as early adopters or semi-early adopters to educate and simplify the message. I think Twitter is a great platform once you've understood and you want to drink from the source. But starting from there is so difficult because we don't make it easy for anyone to come into the space. We rather do the opposite. This space was built and created by extremely smart tech people that are tech savvy for extremely smart tech people and tech savvy. So the idea of making it easy never came to their mind because in their minds, that is easy. So what I am trying to do on a daily basis is to simplify the message to break it down in a way that anyone can understand and feel comfortable in taking part of it. And that's why, again, I do the work on LinkedIn. That's why I get a lot of the things I've learned throughout this year and my experience and my background and the connections I have and the friendships I have and the information I have access to. And I translate that in a manner that someone that has never heard of it now is on LinkedIn, can look at that and be interested and start digging deeper. So I feel, you know, like making the message easier is a responsibility, but also going to channels that the core audience that are native to the space are not, like LinkedIn, TikTok, and others. I think that's kind of like what's going to get us a bit closer to mainstream adoption. And if you want to like a tactical advice for someone that is just getting started or is semi-started, but not entirely into it, I would say you should tackle that by two ways. You should go horizontally and vertically. On the horizontal aspect, I would say, look into the technologies and what is built within the space. So very high level, what blockchain is. Maybe a five minute video, that's all you need to know. What blockchain is, tick the box. What NFTs are, two to three minutes video, whatever you found, something good, tick the box. And start going towards the direction. What are cryptocurrencies? What is decentralized finance? What are decentralized autonomous organizations? What is smart contract and things like that? What is Web3? What is Metaverse? So within that horizontal aspect, I would recommend you staying very high level, just so you have a grasp of what the possibilities are and what we all talking about. And then go deep on a vertical into something that you're really passionate about. So if your passion is fashion, or if your passion is sports, or if your passion is collectibles, or if your passion is art, get that niche and go really deep into it. 
And when I mean deep, it's not just about reading, it's also about connecting. So jump on the Discord channels where those things are happening and go chat with people. Go to communities that are well-established and go learn and engage and try to figure out and ask questions. Find someone that is the closest to you, anyhow, friend of a friend, cousin, whatever it is, that already has a clue about the space and ask them for like two, three places that it should start from. I think that's kind of like how it's going to start is this ecosystem that's going to enable and make it easier for people to come in. But this horizontal and vertical aspect that I'm talking about really makes it easy for you to be focused because a lot of times it's so easy to get distracted within the space because there's so much going on and everything that is exciting. And every day there's some news and you want to do everything, which can become overwhelming. And then you end up giving up because there's just too much going on on top of everything that you're already doing. And then a last piece of advice I would give is do not invest your money. And that's probably the opposite of what majority of the people are saying. But why I'm saying it is because as soon as you change your hat to investor and speculator, you are no longer just a person that's curious or a person that wants to explore or a marketeer that wants to understand why so many brands are jumping in or an artist that wants to understand why artists are now using this new medium to create their art. You become a speculator, you become an investor. You worry about how much Ethereum is worth today, tomorrow, how much it's going to be worth in 10 years. And that distracts you from learning. Understand what you want to do. Do you want to invest and make money or do you want to learn and build something? You can do both at a certain stage as soon as you cross a threshold, but I would not recommend you doing that from day one. At what point do you think people should start thinking, I'm ready to be an investor? It's a personal decision, right? Like it's an investment decision that you need to make based on how much you're willing to lose. The likelihood of you losing money within the space is extremely high. Probably the high likelihood within any type of asset that you could invest out there. Most volatile. You're literally giving money sometimes to people that you don't even know their names, you don't even know their face, anons within the space. You don't even know what they're going to do with it. And people can just vanish the next day because there's so many tools that can be used to don't leave trace behind. Not to say of volatility, not say of regulations that are not in place, not to say about things that happen on a macro scale, what brought us to this crypto winter that we are currently in. So if you are comfortable with all what I just said, and you are comfortable with losing everything that you want to put in the space, that's the moment you're ready to do it. And that's a personal decision that I'll never be able to say like, oh, I think you're ready to do it. You're ready to do it when you're ready to do it. I think it's important to look at the mirror and understand what you want to take out of it. I see all the money I put in as a personal investment on myself that has accelerated the way I learn because I don't want to lose money. So I stick around as much as I can to learn as much as I can to make sure that I'm taking well-educated decisions. But again, I operate on a high risk level and I'm willing to spend 25 hours of my day looking to that if I put my mind to. It's a personal decision. Do you feel as though from your observation that brands who are jumping into the metaverse, the NFT space, and there are lots of them every single day, are they driven more by FOMO as opposed to anything else? Because what you've mentioned of people looking at this and it being a rock pool is so high. And it's not as though sometimes it's supposed to be a rock pool. It's just things just didn't work out. It's a lot harder than I yeah. thought it would be. And it just ended up that way. And it would jeopardize the brand that they've already built in Web2 space. So I wonder what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. So to your first point, it's a mix. As I said, I've been in the space, especially working with brands for over a year now. And I heard several different things. I've got breathing or I've been in conversations where FOMO was 
sort of like a KPI, right? Like let's generate formal. And I've been to conversations where people from inside the brand want to now use their brand as a platform, use this technology as an enabler to bring community closer to them so they can support causes that are close to their brand and brand strategy to bring us and make the world a better place. So there's like left and right extremes as everything in the world. You can easily tell whether a brand's doing it for formal or a brand's doing it as an experiment or a brand's already entirely ready to do so. I like having those sort of like tripod framework where I can easily put any brand artist, celebrity into any of those boxes just by seeing what they're doing. So let's give an example. A brand that's doing or a brand that has done it just sort of like for a PR or for what the hype or to take advantage of what's currently happening. I would say, for example, McDonald's when they've done the McRib NFT, I think mid last year, if I'm not mistaken, it feels like ages ago, but they've done that, I think, last year. And I've seen the team posting about it, saying that they smashed the, the KPI, which was generating conversation on Twitter and also generating engagement. So what you can see from there is that the brand at the time was using NFT technology and this new medium, but tracking it with Web2 or quote unquote old word KPIs, which was generating conversation on social, generating retweet likes and comments. So that's when I see a brand not being ready to come into the space yet. And rather than experimenting, just literally doing something quick to get a small win to say like, oh, we've done NFTs now, what is next? That's one example. On the second pillar of experimenting, I think you can look into brands that have done a a bit more homework, but also weren't entirely ready to go all in. So Coca-Cola has done that drop on the auction with the Friendship Day. They had a sort of like a Coca-Cola different assets and they used the revenue that was generated that to donate to a charity. So they did something exciting, was one-off, was an auction, there was a donation to charity. So they tick some boxes of like this new mentality, which Web3 is all about, of distributing or co-creating or awarding orders based on something that you've created as a brand. So that for me feels more like an experiment. They were like, oh, there is this new thing and we want to figure out what we can do with it. What about we do something small? We don't need to make a big buzz about it and anything. We just want to see like, how does this thing works? How does the space operates? And they've done something punctual at the time that made sense to them and resonated with some people from the community. Now on the third spectrum, you look at brands that are like really playing for the long term. Brands that are based on their actions and the way they are entering the space or even being part of the space, you can already tell where their head is at. And one of the very few that I could mention that are already in that direction, although not perfect, although there's so much to develop, is Nike. And when you see that they purchased Artifact or acquire Artifact, which is obviously, if you're a DGen from deep Web3 space, you can question whether that's the right way to go about it or not. But I'm taking myself off the discussion and looking from outside as a marketeer. They position themselves to be in the best position that any brand's going to be five years from now because they acquired the most intelligence and the most capable team that was doing the biggest and best things in digital fashion as a NFT Web3 native studio in December last year. They brought Intel in the house. They brought the community in the house. And now they are 
putting their brand artifact right beside their main brand. So if you look at their current ecosystem, you have Nike, you have Converse, you have Jordan, and you have Artifact. If you're not seeing that they are playing for the next 20, 30 years, you're not paying attention right now because that displays a lot. And if you're into branding and corps, you understand that that's a ginormous move that takes top-down decision to happen. So it's not an activation. It's not a PR stunt. It's not a social media campaign. So that's kind of like how I go about analyzing the behavior and the different directions brands are taking when coming to the space. And that gives me a very clear direction whether they're going to stick around for long term or if it's a one-off type of experience that they're doing. I love that you brought up the example of Nike. I wonder before I go into my next question, what is it that they did right that other brands could learn from? Well, they were fast. They were willing to take risks. If you think what Adidas has done last year in December was fast, and again, I'm biased, but I'm with my community hat on now, and incredibly well-executed, incredibly focused on the community, incredibly focused on being authentic to the brand. What Nike did is a power move. When Adidas came out with the project, the whole NFT Twitter blew up and the internet, as we know, within that space broke. But then Nike comes and follows up and like, we just bought Artifact. They were early, they were fast, and they did a strong power move. They haven't followed up much yet since that happened because I feel that they're definitely building a lot of things on the back. But that gave me the feeling that they are doing it quote-unquote right. But I like looking at other, other examples as well. I tend to say that there is not a single brand that is doing it all right. One, because it's so new. Two, because right changes every day. If you look at two months ago, it's different than what you look now. Two months ago, charging for a, a drop or a mint would be fine. And you look at the current state, doing a free mint is the way to go. So this change is really quick, right? And it took like Adidas about six to eight months of planning and preparation to do what happened in December. So imagine if those changes happen so fast, how do you move that tanker to be able to be relevant to the point that you actually drop, not to the point that you actually were planning? I like seeing different isolated examples of brands doing one or two things right, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they are doing everything right. I use Gucci as an example because Gucci is exploring different aspects of the space. They've done activities within Roblox, which you can call metaverse or gaming, depending on your perspective, but they were there on a Web2 platform. They've launched their own NFT project in partnership with Superplastic, and they've done one of the first digitals as a big brand, right? You basically purchase the NFT and you can get the physical item sent to your home, which is incredibly beautiful and I'm part of, and I'm really looking forward to have that on my table. They are accepting cryptocurrencies as a payment method which is, again, another way of exploring the space and seeing possibilities. They just became part of Super Rare. They paid 25 grand to be part of a DAO. And I don't know if I'm right, but I think they're the first major brand doing so, at least in public or at least talking about it. I could be wrong, but the first one I have seen. So I find interesting that they are exploring different aspects. I would say that they are in the second bucket I mentioned before, because they are in the exploration phase. They're trying to figure out what is in for them. They're building their team. They're building Web3 Studio or whatever you want to call it. They're hiring people from that space or have hired already. So that's exciting to see. But then you see stuff like Etihad coming in and using NFT technology in an entirely different way. As we speak, they haven't launched yet, but probably they will have launched when it goes live. Now they're looking into membership programs and how they can connect their current audience or their current membership program or reward program or loyalty program 
with these technologies, again, as an experimental move, right? So all of this is interesting and exciting. I look at all those different bits and parts and I start trying to make the best puzzle out of all those brands instead of saying like, this is the only one doing it right. No, a lot of them are doing a lot of things right. And you can build one big right spectrum of it as you can do with a wrong spectrum, if you will. So I try to analyze the differences and the things that I find interesting, especially the ones that are doing and looking at things differently. Lacoste now proposing doing almost like this DAO where you can come along and co-create and collaborate together with the brand to create products for the future. That's dope, right? Like that's a really cool experiment from a big brand that's trying to figure it out as well. So what I'm looking for next in advice Fortune 500 companies on how to enter this space. And a lot of my work is spent within those boardrooms and those sort of like high level conversations. What I start hearing more and more often is how brands can now integrate NFTs within their products. And that starts becoming exciting. Think about an automotive company that now is thinking about how a future self-driving and electric car will behave having a wallet within the car. There is a car wallet. And now you start thinking about your car can be connected with your NFTs, your car can be connected with IoT, your car can be connected with a lot of different things because there is a wallet in your car. That type of thing for me is when we're going to start really looking at NFTs and blockchain technology going major mainstream from a consumer perspective, because now they're going to be part of enabling and making people's life easier rather than just be like a collectible that sits in a wallet that you cannot even see. And there is just a million people around the world talking about it. Those are very, very fascinating structures to think about. It ties back to the whole idea of ownership, which is what everyone is so excited about. How do brands think about this? Because it's so contrary to how they've been operating. It's always been, these are my assets. You can only use it in this space. Now it's the whole idea. And people moving to us, I feel, an area where they think, I expect you to share your assets with me. And I expect to be able to use it on many different platforms across the idea of interoperability. So how do brands approach this right now? How can brands think about the idea of actually having to share ownership to a certain extent? Yeah, I play a lot with the concept that Web3 stands for win, win, win. That's my idea of it and how I see the sort of like mindset. And we talk a lot about technology, right? We're like, no, we want to make this space inclusive. Everyone's welcome. We're going to go mainstream. But here, listen to this like 45 minutes like deep tech conversation about how blockchain works and what are nodes and what is proof of work, proof of stake. And here's how you open your wallet. There's 20 steps you need to take. And here's your seed phrase. You have to like hide that. And here's how you connect to eaters. Oh, by the way, there's like 250,000 other cryptocurrencies. Yesterday, there was just a drop on Solana. Oh, you don't know Solana. I'm saying like, we want to make it easy, but then we just make it extremely complicated by focusing so much on the tech. And for me, Web3 is not just a tech evolution of the internet, but is a mindset shift. And the mindset shift is way more important than the technology when it comes to what we should be talking about, because if this technology doesn't work, it can be carried out further. The mindset shift is exactly what you're talking about. So I'm sitting in conversations with brands right now. And again, I've been working with brands for a long time, but now I'm sitting in those conversations with brands and they're like, oh, we will launch an NFT project. We definitely want to use an artist from the space because we want to be part of the community in an authentic manner. And we just don't want to partner with this artist. We want to give this artist 
royalty on the primary sales and royalty in the secondary sales in perpetuity. What does that mean is that major Fortune 100 brands are talking about how they can share the revenue and share the success with someone that is not like Kanye West or Beyonce or something like that. That's literally a small artist out of like Nepal that is working in his or her house. And now because people love what he or he does, he's got attention and he's got relevance and there is a revenue split that's already being thought through. This never happened before. Usually it would be like, oh, let's get this artist. We pay like 10 grand. Thanks for your work. We make millions out of it and we keep it because that's what brands do. So this mindset shift is happening, which is so exciting to be part of because I'm exposed to a lot of different conversations, good, bad, and ugly. What I just mentioned became almost like a standard on the rooms I am at. Not because I'm pushing it, I'm like watching it. And it's really interesting. It's really exciting. And they're talking about community and they're talking about community wallets and they're talking about how they can co-create and they're talking about, okay, maybe next season we should launch an NFT gate community and decide with the community how the next season is going to look like from a footwear, from a apparel perspective. Let's co-create. Let's get artists from the space to help us shaping the future of our line clove or anything that they are building. So this is what I think is exciting, which goes beyond technology. It goes in a mindset shift. And to your point on brands, brands are the holy grail, right? They're untouchable. They sit there on top of everything and nobody can do anything about it. And if you ever dare to do anything with it, we sue you and you get you busted and you're out. And now I think that Board Apes has set a very interesting precedent on how brands can be built in a new space and how you can get your community to become evangelists, ambassadors of your brand, but also the ones that are shaping your brand. Now people are like, what about we try to do something similar at a smaller scale with one of the IPs that could even be dead within our range of brands and try to reignite and restart that by taking a similar approach. So I think that's what is powerful. I'm always pushing brands to look at this. I'm not coming and saying, hey, give your logo for everyone. Anyone can use it and let's see what happens. Like, definitely not. I'm not stupid. What I'm saying is there is a new way, a new mentality on how you can co-create and co-own, develop the future of your brand, of products or anything alongside and with the community. I say that in Web2, we had consumers. Everybody was consumers or targets, right? So that mentality is shifting now because consumers consume. That's the only thing they do. They don't add value. They're just consuming. The value they add is giving their money. Done. Next. Now, within this new mentality of Web3, we're shifting from consumers to community. Communities co-create. Communities have ownership. Communities are rewarded. Communities build together. Communities create together. And that's what's very exciting. As you were speaking about co-creation community, I was thinking of the writer's room, which I think is really interesting. You've got 3,000 people coming together, determining the direction and plot of the writing of a story, important and dangerous. I wonder for other brands who are thinking about opening this up and allowing 3,000, 5,000 people to determine the direction of a certain product, what kind of things do they need to be thinking about as they're plotting this? I think the main aspect and why this hasn't happened yet at scale is risk, right? When you look at, when you look at a project from the space that is run by one, two, five people that literally just got born, 
got traction, got funds. But if it goes to shit tomorrow, it's like, oh, we tried. It's different than when you have like a 70-year organization that employs 70,000 people and generates $30 billion in revenue a year and has shareholders and is a public traded company. Whole different thing. So that's where we need to start from. Secondly, it's probably someone wouldn't spend time trying to sue someone from the space that is doing that because the person has broken any type of IP law that we might not be aware of or the person that created the space that the thing wasn't aware of, right? A brand is a big target. There's a lot of things that can go wrong within that space, especially in this space, which is a wild west. There is no regulation. There is no clear, this is allowed, this is not allowed. If you do this in this country, is a problem. If you do that in that country, is not a problem. People are all over the world. How you deal, for example, with China where NFTs are banned. If some Chinese customer comes in and takes part of it, is that brand's responsibility? Is it not? Who's the fault? In the US, this conversation is getting more and more towards security. Whose fault is that? Oh, you haven't told your clients that this could be a security. So it's your fault. And now you're going to get sued for that, right? Like there's a lot of implications that come with it, which by the way, is not at all my field of expertise. Those are just very few things I can see, but I'm far from, from a specialist when it comes to law and risk and any, any of it. But I talk with a lot of lawyers. And I understand the concerns and I get a lot of times the same questions from the brands. How do we mitigate risk? How can we do this without any risk? And I'm like, you can't. <laughs> and getting brands to be comfortable to the fact that they cannot control everything and they cannot be sure that there is no risk is a big challenge. So how can brands mitigate their risk? If they were interested in potentially creating some kind of DAO where communities could come together and create a product. Yeah, again, I'm not a specialist. I'm not an attorney. This is not a financial advice. <laughs> no legal advice. <laughs> no, like, exactly. No legal advice, no financial advice. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is there are ways surrounding yourself with the right people and the specialists that are indeed specialists, not self-proclaimed, which is extremely hard to fine and understand the difference. That's tricky. But the first step is to gather people from the organization that are inside the organization, that are specialists in the fields that law, corporate, treasury, all those things, bring that in. It's not going to be easy, but it's mandatory to have them on board and start trying to have conversations with them on how you can mitigate risks, how you can find the right external partners that have done it, that have seen it, that have experienced to come and help you. I think that one of the big mistakes I'm seeing right now is that everybody's an specialist and everybody's an expert and every single consulting firm out there out of nowhere became like, I have 25 years of NFT experience and they're doing reports left and right and suddenly they know everything. Agents is the same. Every single agency now is in a web tree studio, right? So... How can you make sure to filter through the bullshit and work with the people that have seen, have done, and are part of the space that can help you doing it? Not necessarily right, but being more assertive. I think that's the first challenge. Finding an internal team and finding an external team that can help you. And from there is going to be about how do we mitigate risk? How do we make those risks smaller? If we do A, B, or C, which one do we have the more risk or the less risk? 
I cannot comment on because that's not my field of expertise, but whoever is a specialist in the room from a law perspective, IP lawyer or whatever is going to be, is going to be able to tell you based on experience that are already out there. DAOs are not even like technically not legal entities yet, right? There is the Wyoming conversation happening for a long time that's being pushed in the US, which is great. It's the only space in the world that I know that is working towards developing and working around those concepts. So I think that avoiding those terms is a good start. Often I tell brands, don't call it an NFT, call it a digital collectible. Don't call it a DAO, call it a collective. Don't say that you're going to be sharing revenue and splitting revenue. Maybe you call that rewards. Maybe you do a gamification of something that's not connected to dollars, but in a way you can get benefits from. So take the layer of financial incentive or speculation or investment from it, which makes it less appealing, obviously, and makes people not be so excited about coming because they might not make as much money as they thought they would, but it's safer. It keeps you safer as a brand in that sense. And I think especially within the spirit of exploration we are going through is the place to start from. I will also add that just because you quote something else, that doesn't mean certain jurisdictions that you escape from it. A lot of times they will look at the intent behind it and what you are actually trying to achieve and you could still get caught. Very good point. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Hey there. If you're enjoying this episode so far, would you consider buying Steamia coffee? You can find the link in the show notes and description of this episode. Every coffee would be much appreciated and helps see me to grow. Now let's get back to this episode with Diego. This is a very fascinating field for me because I'm an IP lawyer as well. So there are so many issues that arise. (laughs) (laughs) I won't won't grill you on this part because this is not your field. (laughs) So I wanted to talk about the idea of community. Obviously, there are lots of people who have heard of Web3. They are very reticent, even very hostile to it. How do you bring your existing customers into Web3 with you? How do you convince them that we're not trying to scam you out of this, even though you've always loved us before? Don't use the names. Try to add value on the project you're actually doing and why that project is interesting rather than using the buzzwords and the technology and trying to convert people and all of it. If you feel your audience is not ready, why force feeding it? If you feel your audience is ready and there is space for it, then oh, perfect, go all in. Or maybe start with education first. The, the main problem is that brands are trying to go from zero to one and make money on the way. And that relationship becomes very sketchy because one, oh, you found another way to make money of us, right? And that becomes the problem. But if you do something either for free, then, then you can take revenue on the secondary. You want people want to trade. You don't necessarily need to call that an NFT. You can call something else. You don't need to call it metaverse. You can call like the virtual experience. You start navigating around and doing what you want to do without having to be too focused on like the PR stunts and, oh, now whatever brand from whatever entered the metaverse, right? What they have done, oh, they launched an NFT. Well, that doesn't mean they entered the metaverse. So like people are trying to force through. And when you start forcing and you're not authentic, that's when you run into troubles. People that are close to your brand know it from day one, what the intentions behind are. I feel this is a good exercise to sense check if the fans are ready for it or not. And if they aren't, how can you find ways to explore this space without necessarily putting down their face? Maybe show them the benefits before talking about what it is. I feel Steve Jobs had that brilliant quote, which I'm going to butcher right now. But the concept is you don't start with the technology. You start with the problem and then you use the technology or based on the problem you want to solve to solve the problem. 
but you don't start with the technology and then you try to find a problem you want to solve. That's what's happening with NFTs right now. People are like, oh, we're going to use NFT technology for what? We don't know, but we got to use it. And that's when you run into troubles. Based on your experience working with so many brands, what has been the best way for brands to educate their existing customers saying, hey, and we think of entering to this space, it's called digital asset, not necessarily NFT, to actually launching it. And I'm saying this because I came across the story, I'm not sure if you're aware, of GSC and Stalker 2. And it sounded like a really interesting idea. You buy the NFT, you can be a non-player character, why not? But then within days, they faced tremendous critique and they just decided to cancel, even though they had said, we want to do NFT right, but clearly they didn't. So I wonder what I ran wrong there. I'm not aware entirely of that specific use case, so I can comment on it, but I can comment on a project I work on and I feel was a very interesting use case. G-Star Raw is a denning brand from the Netherlands. They have heritage and space. They've been a brand for a long time and very respected. So when you think about the Super Bowl, for example, Eminem and Snoop Dogg were wearing products from then at stage, right? So that shows like the level of talents they're working with. The thing is that G-Star Raw is not as attracting for young consumers as other big brands that are within the space. That's obviously a clear thing when you look at a market share and stuff like that. So this new medium now is a way on which you can use to connect with new consumers or a new database or a new demographics, or even with the ones that you already have that just want to see the brand doing something cool, innovative and new in a new type of form. That's kind of like what I've seen the brand going towards. And the way they started doing, which was really exciting, is that every single next step they wanted to take, they asked the community that they put together what they should do, how they should do, what they think would make the most sense. So they didn't call from the one like an NFT. They just gather a community on Discord, start bringing people towards the direction, digital collectible and stuff like that. And then they start asking like, okay, how many of those digital collectibles should we launch? How should be the price? What do you think the future should be? Giving options to the community to decide together. Which channels within this Discord community do you think you should have? Which type of conversation should we do? Do you want to have a Q&A? Do you want to have an AMA? So you start shaping together. As soon as you do that, there is a feeling of belonging, which is essential for humans to get together and to care about something that is born from day one. And you hacking the system by doing what people want you to do rather than trying to figure out by your own and thinking about your own interests. So that's an interesting way of looking at it. And even though it didn't sold out 24 hours in that madness that we've seen before Crypto Winter started, it took about like one and a half months to sell out. But then the community is really active, is really fostered, is really like being together despite the current market situation. Because you built together with them and because they felt they belonged to something rather than just being an investor that's looking to flip and do a 2, 2, 5, 10x and leave the next day. I feel this is an interesting benchmark on how one, avoid troubles, but two, you also like foster community for the long term without being super stressed out about like, oh, we didn't sold out, so it's a failure, which a lot of brands tend to think, well, it could have gone deeper if topics like sustainability would have mattered as much, which is a major topic, especially for brands especially on these one-sided conversations that we are having from a mainstream perspective. Blockchain is the motive now why climate change exists, apparently, right? Because everything goes back to blockchain and NFTs being so bad. I'm not denying it at all. I know the impact of how much energy is needed from a proof-of-work mechanics perspective and all of it. 
but so does cloud system. So does a lot of other things, right? What I'm trying to say is we are in a one-sided conversation that you cannot spend time educating people as a brand. You cannot say, we're going to do an Ethereum and here's the 500 pages why Ethereum is not that bad. You can't do that. You need to understand what the values of the community are. You need to tie back to your brand strategy. What are the values of your brand? Is in your brand strategy to become carbon neutral or to be a benchmark for sustainability within your industry or within the world? If that's important to you, then choosing the right chain or choosing a chain that's proof of stake probably would be a better option for you to do. And those things come from having sort of like quote unquote brand self-awareness, which is knowing really well where you want to go and where you had it, but also what people expect from you. Do you think that the conversation of climate change is something that every brand that's entering Web3 will have to grapple with at some point? Every single brand, every single yeah. brand. I haven't been to a room with any brand, no matter the size, that the first question that was asked and the first topic in the agenda was sustainability and which chain we're going to use. Would you say that companies are more eager because Ethereum is moving to proof of stake? And so maybe this concern would die down a bit. But then you also have Solana, you have Tezos as well. It's a chicken and egg question, right? Because one, you want to be where the people are and people that are into NFTs, majority of it, and sorry, proof of stake maxes are on Ethereum. Those are facts. Just look at like liquidity when it comes to DeFi, log value, and also trade volume within NFT space. So people are there and you want to talk to them, but that you cannot be there because of sustainability. So where do you start? How do you go about, oh, cool, let's do that on Flow, but then there is no one or barely people there yet. So how do we go about it, right? So it's a chicken and egg conversation. And a lot of brands have to take this stance and say they don't do it on Ethereum. If you look at a project that I'm also part of, a part of NFT Cloud that we launched with Salesforce, Salesforce does not support Ethereum right now. And it is a decision that has been made until Ethereum moves to proof of stake. Those are all public, public information, by the way. That's why I want to talk about. They are also allowing the users to offset via carbon credits. How does that work? Right. Is it actually effective? Right. So those are ways to mitigate when I'm not by no means speaking on Salesforce behalf. I'm just speaking as a community member and someone from the space. Ways that brands are looking to mitigate this issue right now are either using proof of stake, as you suggested. So like Solana, Flow, Tezos, Avalanche, whatever is going to be. So there is obviously a major difference on energy consumption and perception from the public on those chains compared to Ethereum. So that's a quote-unquote low-hanging fruit, but a very difficult discussion because, again, you go back to volume and uh, locked value within the chain. And the second one, which sometimes works almost like a band-aid, is monitoring on-chain activity and uh, mitigating carbon emission through partners that go in the direction which you mentioned, which is carbon upsetting. So there are strong very credible companies doing that already out there and offering that as a service. Cetra is one of them. There are marketplaces like Rarible that allow you to already do that at checkout. I think is, is, is another way to mitigate it. We are not there yet. We are working to be there, but we cannot stop right now. So how do we make it better, but not perfect? And that's where we are at. We need to be very, very conscious and transparent about that because there is no water way right now. That's what I've been seeing. That's usually the suggestions I give to the brands as well. We need to understand if sustainability is such a major issue for you and your main goal is to come into the space and make a lot of money and expect to be really authentic 
not doing an Ethereum probably is not going to be the best way for you to do it. Polygon is interesting. Major brands are coming to Polygon now. We've seen Instagram using Polygon as their feature, Twitter using it. A lot of big brands coming into it. Maybe there is something there because Polygon obviously has slightly more than the others when it comes to trade volume and stuff like that. But it's going to be an interesting conversation. I don't know whether if this dreamed of move from proof of work to proof of stake from Ethereum is going to happen in September as everybody's sort of like speculating right now. That's why ETH price is popping. And if it does happen, I don't know what that will represent, right? Again, those are very one-sided conversations. There isn't a lot of clear information out there to take the decisions to say, even if proof of stake is as good as we think it is. And especially safe. We'll see how that develops. I work with the information I have at hand and the solutions I have at hand right now that I recommend brands looking into is using different chains and offsetting your activities or making donations or grants, whatever you think is the best for your brand to be doing within the space. I wanted to bring up an example. It might not be the best example. So Nemeris that you're advising, and I'm actually going to interview the co-founder as well. I find that what they're doing is very, very interesting. They are basically trying to conserve Amazon rainforest, which is fascinating, but they're also using it with NFTs. And so on a very high level, you could say that, well, you are creating more harm to the environment to protect the environment. So how should we think about that? Does it even make any sense to go the NFT route if you want to do this? I mean, if you're going to have Charlie on the show, and that's a call to action for everyone out there. Charlie is a fantastic, incredible person, personal friend of mine spent a lot of time together, one of the person that I learned the most within the space. I'll pose that question to him. He's wrote an immense amount of material. He's been answering this question an immense amount of times. And I definitely don't want to take or steal the moment for him to, to acknowledge that because it's extremely important. And uh, I'm sure he's going to do a great job on why, because it was a deliberate, deliberate choice doing on Ethereum from the project. And there's a big motive behind it. And Charlie definitely can tap into that. All right, we'll just do anticipation (laughs) and leave it there. (laughs) Another thing I wanted to bring up is as an example. So Salesforce NFT Cloud, if you Google it, the first thing that you would see in Google search is controversy. There were lots of employee protests behind it. And one of it was environmental costs, the security, the fact that they're unregulated financial assets. So just as an example, if I'm a brand and I find that I'm facing internal conflict because people don't believe in the direction, how can I mitigate that? Well, it's, it's really hard. It's a really hard one, especially when people from your own organization are coming after, right? I mean, Salesforce is not the only one. Look at it, Starbucks. I don't know if you watched that town hall where they were announcing that they're doing their membership program now or gift cards, whatever it's called, as NFTs. And people stood up and were like, but every time you mint an NFT, you kill a polar bear. How about that? Right? Like it's that one-sided because the information, the mainstream media is doing a very good job on pushing the agenda right now. So it's difficult. It's extremely difficult. I don't have the answer for that, but obviously communication is extremely important. And I think that's what's happening a lot within these companies and and organizations, having open conversations about it, trying to display the whys to educate. But again, it takes a long time to educate people, especially when we don't have all the answers. People are expecting like, okay, I heard it's bad for the environment. So what is the solution? Like, We don't know. Trying to figure out. We're trying to make it better. We know how to mitigate. Yeah, but mitigating doesn't help. Well, there is not right now. So we shouldn't be driving cars either because we are polluting the environment with cars. No, we're trying to move to electric cars. No, but electric cars are also bad to the environment. Okay, so let's go back to horses. There are a lot of arguments you can have around the topic. 
which again, I'm not at all a specialist in climate change in any of it. But when those conversations are happening, I think having like a clear open forum to let people express themselves and hear their concerns, because there's a lot of things in there, those concerns that are absolutely right and very important to be raised. But again, is, is a risk the brand's going to take and the brand's going to need to decide whether they are keen to take the risk or not. The commitment, as you can see from outside from Salesforce, based on that conversation was to don't go on using Ethereum. So that's a way where you can still moving forward. You can compromise and listen to the people from your organization, but you don't stop what you're trying to do moving forward, right? So it's a halfway, you meet in the middle, I would say. And a lot of brands are doing that. A lot of brands, again, every single room I enter, the first question is, what about sustainability? A lot of people are against, a lot of people think that NFTs are fat and scam and Ponzi and all of it, as my grandma thought about the internet. But we're going through through a technological evolution that a lot of people are going to push back. And we might be wrong in the future and look back and they were right or we might learn together that there are different ways of doing it. But I think communication is going to be the right way. There is no right and wrong answer. I think from a brand perspective, what you really absolutely need to be ready for is any type of PR shitstorm. It can happen. It may happen. It will happen. How do you get ready to go back to that? How do you acknowledge that? And that is going to need to be in a sensible manner as well, right? Because again, we don't have the answers. We cannot say like, no, we've done this and this is the only way you can do it. And that's the most correct. I wanted to talk about a project that you were involved in before we start wrapping up. So Adidas Into the Metaverse, hugely successful, almost 30,000 NFTs sold within hours, made $22 million. So made a huge splash. You were involved from the start. How did it evolve from it being this initial vision to what it was when it launched? What were the differences? I think the first point is it took a long time, a lot of perseverance, because again, it's something new. So the core people from the team, and that's probably like three or four or a handful, they fought the battles. Not because people were pushing against, it's just that we're so busy trying to make this business run and do everything right. And there's so many initiatives. And now you want to put something on top of it, like that type of corporation conversation that you have to go through. And then on top of being a new thing, nobody understands. There is no regulation. My cousin tells me that cryptocurrency is a scam, so I never want to touch that. The government says that just terrorists are using it. So why should we be doing it as a brand? Why do you want me to pay 150 grand in a JPEG of an A? It's not easy. I think especially last year, now those conversations are becoming like people get it a little bit more. If you're a CMO brand VP or if you're within this space and you still don't have at least a clue of what's going on, you got to get your shit together because the boats, it's going, it's not coming back. Go through the list of like Fortune 500 brands and I promise you that 95% of them are looking into the space if they haven't done something yet. It's a fact. So back then it was different. Back then I was like, oh, nobody has done anything. No other big brand has done anything. So how we go about it? So there's a lot of kudos, especially for the core team that started, which were friends of mine, about four to five people that were the ones that really kickstarted. Again, the gens from the space, people that have been around and always starts with them. It's a bottom-up initiative. Every single brand I work with, I always get hit by one person is like, hey, dude, listen, I've been trying to do this thing for months. You've done that with other brands. Can you come and lie to those people because they are not believing in what I'm saying? That's always how it starts. And then you start finding others within the organization, then you start building a bigger team, and then you go about doing it, right? Sounds very much like to change the perspective internally. It's find this core group of people who believe in it. And if other people still don't get on board, find someone whom everyone else will respect to come in and share the same vision as well. You need buy-in. And that's why I always say tie that with the brand strategy. 
Say like, that's where the brand wants to be five years from now. And that's how now we're going to use this new medium to enable that to happen. And then you get people attention. And they're like, okay, we got budget for that. Let's just throw a couple hundred thousand there and see what's happened. Oh, we might need some headcounts. Cool. It's tied to the brand strategy anyway. Let's put it there. Oh, do you want to come and present on that like partly meeting we have about brand strategy because this is a new revenue stream that we could use potentially to grow the business? Cool. Yeah, let's do it. So that's kind of like how you get more traction rather than just trying to approach from one side and be like, oh, but we need to do it now and it's important and we're going to miss the boat. It's going to miss the boat. There's no way. More than just finding the people that are already convinced or that are already in for a better word, you got to educate others. You got to show why it's interesting. Again, now it's easier, much easier than back then. Cannot forget this thing started in March last year when the work started, right? When my friends started like working on that and then went live in December. So <laughs> majority of the people that are listening to this or majority of the people that are sitting on brands right now as NFT leads or metaverse leads didn't even knew about the space when this initiative started. So I'm talking about like early. I think how it evolved is that the brand was able to move fast. The right people that are decision makers took the decisions that we could call right today because they made it happen. But the brand understood the value of being in a space like this. I don't have any insights on what's happened past December because I left, but I'm very sure because I still have a lot of friends within the brand that this is being taken as a very serious initiative within the company as everywhere else. Companies hiring left and right now for Web3 roles, for chief of metaverse, for NFT director or whatever, you see the jobs are out there. So I think this kind of like Web3 studios and NFT studios and metaverse studios is going to start popping up within organizations. It's going to be really exciting to see how that's going to shape. I wonder to the extent you're able to share what was the brand strategy behind Indigo Hertz? That's a board ape. And I found it so interesting because I'm sure everyone must have heard of board apes by now, but you're deliberately taking this NFT, this other brand and incorporating it into a very critical part of your NFT strategy. How do you think about that? I love it. I find it to be really exciting. My favorite project in this space and that's an alpha, <laughs> is 10KTF, right? I don't know if the audience knows about it, but 10KTF is a project that people and other people involved, they run a company called We Knew, and 10KTF is, is a origin, is an IP from that company. They have a main character, Wagmi Sun. He's the shop seller that you come to connect your wallet and see what he's got for you. And there is a lot of storytelling the best-in-class storytelling within this space. There's so much exciting things happening there. And everything runs around a character that's leading the story, which is beautiful. So you follow his journey. You want to support. There are people fighting and trying to beat him up, and you want to be part of it to protect him. It's a classic storytelling-driven sort of initiative that you, you hold hands with a character and let him navigate you through this new world. And I feel that this is so interesting for a brand like Adidas and Indigo because it could play a similar role. It could become almost like the lead on that new world where Adidas is now navigating and a lot of brands are navigating. There is nothing better than having a core character to sort of like walk you through what is next, which I find really exciting. So I don't know if that's the case. I feel that's the opportunity that's at stake right now. I look at 10KTF as a great example on how to do it right how to do it authentic to the space and how brands could take advantage of it as well. Speaking of doing things right, I want to talk about the Metaverse Standards Forum, which is what a bunch of big tech 
decided to sign up on Meta, Microsoft, Alibaba, Sony. They signed a pledge to say they're going to create this open, interoperable metaverse. There's lots of criticisms about that. There's a lot of skepticism. Can big techs really do that? It's, isn't it contrary to the nature of what they are doing? Yeah, I mean, to start from a common ground, this whole metaverse thing is extremely overcomplicated. And there is a lot of hype and a lot of like, oh, the metaverse is entirely new. No, it's not. Think about like Second Life. It was 2007, 2008. Like think about the scenes. Think about gaming. It's nothing new. The fact is what the metaverse for me is and the different school of thoughts exist, but that's my definition, personal definition, is that the metaverse is nothing else than an evolution of the internet and how we connect digitally as humans. That's what it is for me. If you want my point of view on that, we need to start from there. So this thing now enables us to connect in a deeper way than the current state. So the Zoom call or these teams or whatever we are connected is horrible. We spent three years locked down and we realized that the way we connect as humans digitally sucks. The UX is horrible. So how do we go about making it better? Now that for most of the time, also be working more remote, we're going to connect more with communities all over the world. How do we make a more enhancing, enticing experience? And that for me is the role of this whole metaverse conversation. Get what we've learned from gaming before, apply that to different ways, how you can work, how you can connect, how you can talk, how you can meet, how you can throw events and stuff like that, and reutilize that engine and start building something towards the direction that can enable more than just gaming. So that's my take. And what's happening within this sort of like open and closed metaverse, that's extremely, extremely important conversation. If you follow trends, as we tackled before, what happens before is exactly what's going to happen next. What happened with internet, e-commerce, and social media is what's happening now with blockchain, NFT, and metaverse. Is the similar cultural shift and impact where now people are looking into a new medium on how they connect and how stories are being told. That's all what it's about. It's about human connection and storytelling. That's the core of our existence as society, as communities. So thinking that the time that we are spending online has grown exponentially throughout the years, but especially within the last three, having companies that we don't necessarily trust as much as we did before, because we know what happened because we did, owning the way and the place and the environment where we will spend most of our online time as humanity is dangerous. So that's why a lot of people were right now questioning that, right? Open metaverse, closed metaverse. It's going to have space for both. And I don't think that's so black and white, that conversation. I think it's literally going to be, you will have space for meta and they're going to charge 47% every time you buy and sell something on their space. And that's how they roll. Fine. You have a space for Microsoft because they need to evolve the experience from Teams to something else because they need to keep corporates utilizing that product. And if you think that corporate's going to go to a entirely decentralized anon space to secure their most important information to hold the most important meetings about the future of the brand product and IP, you're entirely wrong and you're very naive. That's why Microsoft's going to still have its place. The difference is that we will have place that are going to be entirely open. We'll have that anarchy-like mad place that you go to do whatever you want, like GTA is, and it's going to exist, and it's going to be entirely decentralized and entirely open, but you also will need the closed metaverse. You also will have hybrid versions. So I think that that whole conversation comes down to 
people thinking that there will be just one metaverse and that one and only metaverse cannot be from meta. It's not going to be one. Think about the different social media platforms out there. There are different ones and people coexist and live within different ones. There are platforms on how just the, the working platforms are also different. We work on Teams, we work on Zoom, we work on Google Hangout. It's the same. It's going to have different ones. The important thing here is to make sure that we have all of them and that there is space for all of them so people can choose from. That's what matters. I wonder, since you speak to so many brands, what is something that you would love to see brands do that you haven't seen done yet? Oh, I pitch this idea everywhere I go and nobody wants to do it yet. And I don't know why. <laughs> I'm really excited about the other things we were talking before, but you as IP lawyer already shutting me down with all rights because you understand it much better than I. But I'm dreaming of this time that we're going to have like an NFT that gives you access to your space, coming into this space. You can co-create anything with that brand and you can take a cut or a royalty or a revenue from that product that is being co-created. You as an artist can come and create your own product under that silhouette, for example, that you can then sell to your community, like this crazy mad open studio to shape the future of how we collaborate and create with the major brands around the world that has been born in the space and born into culture and everyone that is involved can take advantage and can be reward for doing so. That's like the utopian thing that I really would be excited about. The second utopian thing is having brands to look into projects like Nemo's, for example, as you said, are trying to save the Amazon forests and protect and conserve by using Web3 technologies, coming along and using their brand as a platform to help projects like that help us decelerating climate change. Instead of being profit-oriented, is understanding how they can use their platform, which is major, their community, this new technology to change the world for better. Not just about climate, but also talking about diversity and inclusion, talking about distribution of wealth, talking about giving opportunity for people that don't have as much opportunity, talking about disability, talking about the most important topics we have on the table right now that we are tired about listening, but we see so many, so few initiatives, is how now brands can use Wonder Platform and to this technology to change the world for a better place. Those are the two utopian dreams that I would love to see brands doing. If you want to do that, I'm ready. Just give me a call. Amazing. <laughs> For the first one, I can already envision all the complex terms you need in your licensing agreement. I can see why the lawyers will bear down on this. <laughs> well, Diego, thank you so much for your time. I have loved this conversation. I normally end with the same question. So the first is this. Do you feel like you have found your why? I think I'm closer to it. I think the first time in my life, I feel that there is like deeper meaning at scale on not just what I'm doing, but a lot of people that I meet, people are excited. People were striving for it. People were like, oh man, I wish I would have found this thing before. Everywhere I'm going, people are like, I'm doing this. I'm creating that. I'm building that thing. I'm helping this. We want to do this for better. It's so exciting to be around that type of energy, creation energy, positive energy. People just literally like trying to find ways to make this work, but to make this as a new mindset, as a new way for us to be in a better place as society. Again, when it comes to equalizing. It can be utopian. I know a lot of people were against it. Jack from X Twitter has made a lot of points, but I feel that the most important thing that we cannot deny is if this is a dream, let's keep dreaming until this becomes reality. If that's Web3, Web4, Web5, Web20, the fact that we are awake and dreaming of those new features that we want to develop, it's incredible. And that really excites me. 
And what kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? I think it's basically looking really into leaving the world in a better place than when I got here. Initially, to my family, and secondly, to my community, and third, if I get there at scale. I think it's looking at the issues we have and how we can collaborate and work together to make it a better place. And what do you think are the most important qualities of a successful person? For me, everything comes down to self-awareness, knowing who you are, knowing what you want to do, knowing how you operate and not being told by others how you should be and who you should be and how you should think. Literally not give a fuck about how people think about it. I think it's so, so important, especially in this generation right now where social media plays a major role on dictating how you are and who you should be. I think that's major. I would say the second one is gratitude. A lot of times we think about we don't have, we don't necessarily be grateful enough for the things we have. People tend to say, oh, like the world is worse every day. Well, what are you talking about? Look at the medieval time. People come on horses, invade villages and kill everyone. And that was a norm. Yes, it's not perfect, but I can surely say that's much better than what it was. And hopefully it's going to keep going that direction. Now we have so much more access to information. Negativity and bad news are the ones that go around easier. There's a lot of good stuff happening, but you know, people rather focus on the bad stuff. So I think that pausing and looking around and being grateful for what you have and comparing even to your parents and to the past generations, I think we're pretty lucky to be where we are. The third thing I would say is compassion. I think we lack a lot of compassion, especially in the digital world, because people tend to use that anonymity as a tool to say whatever they want without thinking that there is someone else on the other side that could be or is likely struggling. And that comment you just made can accelerate something very negative into that person's life. Everybody is struggling. Everybody's going through things. Everybody's trying to become better. The current moments we've been living since the last three years where negativity took over in a lot of mediums. I think compassion is important to be mindful on how you talk to people, how you treat people, because you don't know what's going on in someone's mind and whatever you do and say could accelerate things in a bad, very bad way. Also, in a positive way. Sometimes just being nice to someone can literally make someone's day because nobody has been nice to that person for a long time. And where can people go to find out more about you, what you're doing, get involved? I would say LinkedIn. Again, LinkedIn is sort of like where I spend most of my time. I connect with people and I try to use that platform as a way to transmit the message I have. And again, show what I have seen and hope that we can all shape this space in the right way. If you look at Diego Borgo, B-O-R-G-O, at LinkedIn, you'll find me. I'm an alien. That's my photo. Is there a story behind this alien? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there is a story. <laughs> yeah, that's from Pixel Vault. It's a meta hero from Pixel Vault. I love it. This is a great project. I know Sean, I know the team, G-Funk. I really believe on what they're building. That's not a financial advice, by the way. I just really like the stuff they're doing. And the main motive on why I choose the alien to be my identity, especially within this space that I choose to be at with brands and LinkedIn and all of it, is because that's exactly how I feel. Every time I have those conversations with those people, I feel like I'm an alien and I'm just trying to bring you some stuff from outer planet and maybe show you that there are different ways of doing the things we are doing right now. And a lot of times I have that look that people are just thinking that I'm an alien. (laughs) 
And is there anything you'd like to share that we haven't covered so far? Yeah, we talked a lot about education. I've dropped a masterclass on how brands should enter the metaverse and NFT space. I wrote myself 120 pages of content that we shot for five days, 12 hours a day in Dubai with NAS Academy, which is a great partner. I interviewed about seven to eight people from different companies, Fortune 500, like Volkswagen, Salesforce, Unilever. I interviewed Charlie as well from Nemo's. I interviewed Seneca as well. I was in there talking about community. I interview head of NFTs and, and growth at Media Monks, which is one of the largest agencies in the world. I interviewed Somi, which is a thought leader within the space, mixing marketing, technology, and a lot of different things that are really exciting from her point of view as well. It was a great interview. And a bunch of other people that I might be forgetting. Oh, I interviewed Oliver as well, which is a IP lawyer from Germany, which you might know. He's looking for German IP lawyers right now, I've noticed. Exactly. So yeah, he's in there. All of that that I just said within that masterclass is one based entirely on my experience. So it's no theories, no like, oh, I read this in an article, I listened to this in a podcast, or I heard someone doing. No, everything that I put in there is all I have experience firsthand. Secondly, I gave everything I know, not holding back anything. I gave all the frameworks I use. I gave all the materials I use, checklists, the stuff I use with the brands on my daily consultancy and advisory. And third, I brought different points of views at the table, not just mine. There are case studies there with projects I work with. Also, there are case studies and interviews with people from like others that I just mentioned that are also in the space and see things differently than I. If you are interested in any of it, and if you want to see more about my work and what I do, that's kind of like the place I decide putting everything together because I haven't awarded over 250 people to this space one-on-one or in small sessions, and I cannot do that anymore because time is scarce. But that's why I put a masterclass together. I wanted to be able to scale up education and sharing my knowledge. And this is going to launch on 13th August. And if you've listened to this, there will also be a promo code for everyone. So everyone can get involved and learn more from you directly. And that was the end of episode 88. The show notes can be found at sothismywide.com forward slash 88. If you'd like to learn more from Diego, as mentioned, he has an upcoming online course all about how brands can enter the metaverse. And Steamy has a special promo code. So just head to the show notes, use the promo code SOTHISMYY at the link. And stay tuned for next Sunday, because we're meeting the managing director and partner and co-lead of the Metaverse at BCG. To talk about his perspective on the Metaverse, how he sees businesses entering the Web3 space, and steps can be taken for brands to become more Web3-centric. So do stick around and see you next Sunday.